Welcome to another installment of Show Review with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Harvard, Miles Davis, the Beatles, love, film, cinema, so much more. It is my pleasure to bring this expansive, this cerebral, this deeply intellectual chat with the general manager of Drink of Boston, Ms. Ezra Starr. We sat down during the San Antonio Cocktail Conference and chatted about everything you could possibly think about the philosophy behind working in an amazing bar, what it should look like, what it should feel like, what it should and shouldn't have, what fortune's life gives us, traveling, and so much more. So, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Ezra Starr. Well, actually, I never thought that I would end up in uh education at all really i didn't expect i was going to go do that stuff and focus on medicine ever i always thought i was going to be a musician or really? a chef because i grew up with my family and the first books i ever read were um english and french uh cookbooks yeah and so all my base knowledge as a kid was books just on cooking and my mom was a my mom used to cook uh she was a caterer and yeah. my grandmother and i would cook together all the time so I never thought I would go into science at Where all. Where does the music piece come in? Not uh, so I grew up just playing music. Um, what my do you mom's play? a musician. No what? Um, played a few instruments: a guitar, piano, uh, saxophone, drums, um, We're violin. Play, we play the same exact instruments. That's awesome. I like this a lot. Yeah. Wait, are you a tenor, baritone, or alto? Uh, I played tenor, an alto, and a C melody. C melody, really? You know the C melody? No. Oh. It's like a alto size with a curved neck like a tenor. Oh, really? That's a cool... I've never seen one before. They're beautiful. They're hard to find. Imagine. It, it, but suffice to say, were you in bands in school? I was in a lot of bands. I went to a music... I went to an arts-focused high school, which is how I was able to finish so quickly. Oh, that's incredible. Um, and they did a lot of work. Like we, the, we didn't have a sports team. The big people on campus was the musicians. That's a way better thing. It was like, way better. I would rather worship those. It guys. was the only way I could be cool. Yeah. <laughs> See, I never had the opportunity. Yeah. I moved around far too much, and I played an alto sax. Yeah. I think I just tried to get in the jazz bands just so I could play guitar and look a little cool. Yeah. That was the only. I think reason. that's why everybody switched from saxophone to guitars. That's to look See, cooler. right yeah. to get to some kind of attention, some kind of specific accolade. attention <laughs> of some sex somewhere, mm-hmm. in right? some way, some way. So when you talk about music at that point, it sounds like a pretty easy path that perhaps you would have pursued it, but maybe going into your teens a bit, or what were some of the more influential bands or performers for you? Uh, David Bowie, for sure. Yeah. It's like, uh, I love the way that he could transmute and become something different, Sure. Um, which I think has had a huge impact on my life, actually. Uh, yeah. It's one of the ways that I see bars and being behind a bar is shifting and transitioning and becoming somebody different for each guest and taking on okay. elements of what they're looking for in yeah. order to take care of them. That's a um, really str- interesting way to look at it. It's, a, it's being adaptive. Adaptive. He did it in a fashion forward way, but yeah. reinventing himself. You know? Well, he did it with the music too. He would take all his, um, all of his idols 
and he would express them in his own way. Yeah. And I kind of took the same thing when I was approaching how to learn how to be behind the bars, take all the elements of the people that I looked up to, like Kazuo Ieda's shaking style and like Misty Kalkofen, uh her interest in spirits and yeah. um, sustainability and like all those people that really influenced me and then and took Melange, it together. Is that the, the, maybe the word for yeah. it? Yeah. become a, an amalgam of these finer metals. I think amalgamation, yeah, yeah, most likely. Anybody? So Bowie, that's really intriguing. So I want to go one more. There's yeah. another one for you. That's quite. Um, oh, there were so many. Actually, a weird one is Fiona Apple. Really? That's I was so weird. She's a great. Musician. She's an amazing musician, and the way that she could build rhythms off of the way that she played piano was yeah. remarkable to me. So being adaptive within a rhythm, um, I guess that also came across in making drinks. I awesome. never even thought about this. It's awesome. It's a very interesting. Th- food is this way flavors and moving and exactly kind of helping it evolve with flavor with heat with yeah. time and place right so that this also i think probably helped me with chemistry quite a bit was yeah. um i was really shit at chemistry the first time i tried it and then uh i ended up taking all my chemistry classes at the same time uh, i kind of cheated my way in and ended up taking 101 201 301 Just at the and same, 401 yeah. the same semester wow. and then i got to do it the next semester because i had already done it and by being that engrossed and that immersed in the world of chemistry, I started to understand that it was moving and visual and uh, a lot like music and yeah. sound, the way that sound plays in your head and you can hear the notes and the the melodies bouncing off itself and the the waves moving yeah. is the same way that chemistry works. It's like you can see those molecules folding and unfolding and dancing together in right. almost the same way. Um, so... I try to bring that also. I think that's the the main part that I bring with me to being behind the bar and running bars is um, trying to see where that dance is playing and how those um, connections are made and where they're where they come apart and where they go back together. That's it's so really helpful. I always look in, and I, maybe this might be the only person that can really share this. I mean, there's a few musicians that I, <laughs> rather more than a few musicians that are behind the bar, but I always think about a C triad. C major tried, let's yeah. say, or C minor tried. You just shift that third, right? Drinks to me, the perfect drinks are three ingredients, much like a triad. Yeah. Either they're bright and light and acidic, and then that is a C major triad, where you shift it just a little bit darker with some bitters or perhaps an Amari, and then it turns into that minor chord. So I always think it's about funny balance you say like that. that. That's actually the way that I think about food and palates entirely. Yeah, I see absolutely. the, I see a scale. I see a, a scale in my mind, and. You can tell a chef's um, cooking style based on where they are within that scale, where their melody plays. Like some people go really low bass, like um, earthy flavors, and then up to the brighter, higher, like high acids and things like that, or like bright fish and things like that. And the perfect one is the balance in between. So a scale that's a little bigger, tritones. All right, we're going to dive into this then a little bit more. This is exactly how I look about, how I think about flavor. Right. I think three is easiest because conceptually you can do two, but it's not as grand as things don't interplay. Well, two is boring. Yeah, it, can, it can absolutely it, be. It can be really helpful as a transition or a way right. of, I mean, sometimes you want to, like, McDonald's cheeseburger, and that's yeah. like two notes. Totally, right. Entire power chord, it's, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's great, and it's exactly what you want in that moment, but something that's lasting and memorable tends to have many tones to it. Of course. So the thing, when I think about cocktails, when I think about music, I would take something like, it's like Miles Davis, right, on yeah. vinyl, okay? So what ultra mid, per, beautiful, and it's going to be not too dark, 
not too bright. It's never brittle. It's right in the middle. It's that soft spot. It's the perfect unctuous creamy daiquiri, for instance, right? Yeah. But then you think about and know this I pops fine, but like Katy Perry, how that's so pristine and sparkly and yeah. almost brittle. And that is like a cocktail of which is too acidic and has no real soul to it. But it also has a, a flavor of its own. And of I'm course, glad you yeah. said Miles Davis because you know somebody asked him how he got his tone in his trumpet. Do you ever hear this interview? I, I One of the greatest maybe. interviews ever. I don't remember who it was that did it, but um, he said the way that he got his tone was when he would play, a little piece of skin would fall between his lips. And that piece of skin would reverberate specifically in a way that made his tone sound more earthy. Oh, my God. Um, so I think of cocktails kind of a similar way. Yeah. You don't want a perfectly balanced cocktail. It's boring. You can't remember that. Mm. It's when it's thrown off just slightly by something you don't expect right. that it becomes an actual delicious, perfect thing. That's amazing. Uh, you know, so yeah. some, Sometimes, like, even in the old Beatles recording, you'll hear just a, one of the notes is slightly flat on the piano. Well, that's why they're so good, right? They had to do all of it immediately yes, when they first yeah. started. And so they would... Just go directly in. They do one or two takes, and that's it. Right. And that they put out the album, like uh, Rubber Soul and yeah. Revolver. I think they put a little more effort into that because they had to go into four tracks and four tracks. And well, they had tracks. finally kind of exploring right. the lines. And the but all the albums before that was just them raw, and they were so well rehearsed by being in Berlin that when they came to the table to, to play, yeah. they could just do it. And I feel like behind a bar, it's got to be the same way. Once you practice your scales, which are the... The understanding the spirits, the way that you move behind the bar, you're shaking and stirring. Mm. You like you can't even have to think about that anymore. It's, it's got to be second nature. Always knowing how to hold the bottle. Once you have those things down and like your tools for getting guests to talk, yeah, um, and talk about themselves and find figuring out how to find those cues. Once those things are all together, you don't think about them anymore because you've practiced them at home and those are your scales. Almost, Each one yeah. is a different kind of instrument that you've got to master. And then you go on to the modes. Yeah, exactly. Right, and then you expand. See, this yeah. is the kind of the key set of principles about, uh, oh, what is it, being a sensei. Yeah. Right? So you have your person that studies with you doing a rudimentary task for so, so long. And even if they think it's boring or repetitive, ultimately it builds this amazing foundation. It's the absence of ego in Japanese culture. It's yep. just a matter of uh, duty, in a sense, right? Well, also there's the point where when it's boring and repetitive is when you're learning the most because that's the point where you are going beyond the act itself yeah. and starting to see how to expand it so uh, so many times in my career I've thought okay as a bartender I mean um, okay it's time for me to go get a new job go do this other thing yeah. and then I wait a little bit and as I wait I see that actually I'm growing and I'm much further along than I thought but I'm also not at the point that I think I am right so it, it's almost like because I haven't moved on to other things behind a bar, like gone and like worked for somebody else yet um, or anything like that, uh, I've had the same job for a very long time now. I've become so much better at what I do because I've gone through that boring part. Right. And now I can actually so do other jobs much easier. In the doldrums, but yet it ends up being some Yeah, you're on there. a plateau, but you don't realize it has a slight incline. Interesting. How so? I I am. I I'm gonna say impressed. I love this chat so far. This is fucking brilliant. Thank you for that. And I'm gonna take in a little bit of a tangent before we talk back about what this transition looks like from being in the lab and being so scientific, which you still apply every day, of course. But let's talk about your sense of, and this isn't religion, but your sense of connection to the world, right? Okay. This is something I'm, I'm interested in. I am a in very having. religious person. Actually. Are you any particular yeah, I'm a denomination? Buddhist. 
A Buddhist? I'm a very practicing Buddhist. Beautiful. Yeah. How has your, given we're surrounded by a lot of noise, almost literally here in this room, but there are a lot of people against each other all the time. It's this friction for some reason. It feels like the world somehow is being pulled apart by the people that inhabit it. You being seemingly very centered, how is your impression of the world changed maybe in the past five years when it seemingly has become more contentious and we are at each other's throats? Somebody said something really amazing to me one, uh, recently, um, or I, I think I saw it on TV or something. Um, I can't remember. But this guy was saying that we're better off now than we have been in a long time. Yeah. And it may seem like everything's falling apart, but just a few years ago, there was World War II when literally the entire world was attacking itself. Right. And, people and falling were dying apart. on a daily basis, and things were literally falling apart as well. And I think no matter what's happening, everything is always falling apart. Things are always collapsing on themselves. Uh, entropy, right. things like that. And chemistry are an example of it. In Buddhism, you talk about... Um, the constant dying of nature of everything and rebirth, um, some samsara, sure. um, and uh, like the 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 circle of re- death and rebirth. A continuum, right? Yeah, a continuum. Yeah. Um, so you see that stuff, and the great thing about Buddhism is it, it has taught me that the most incredible and powerful thing a person can do is just choose to not do anything mm. and just sit in one place and not watch a TV, not listen to music, not be in the world in any way except for in that one place yeah. and um, I get overwhelmed pretty easily I have a hard time in crowds which is why I work behind a barrier that prevents them from coming to me right. um, and whenever I get overwhelmed uh, I just try to go back to that point and choose to be in one place and choose to not participate um, I guess uh, when, when I was in school we talked about doing surgery and surgeons, um, I'm very curious about them because I wanted to be one. It's like the perfect job in the world. You, you get to use your hands, think about things, and interact with people, ideally, right? <laughs> in a very in a very bizarre, literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but imagine you're a surgeon and you accidentally make a mistake, and that person starts to bleed out or something, right? right? You have to. You're gonna. You're gonna freak out. You are. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's something that is bound to happen. And so what they do is they take a moment, they count to 10, and then they go back in and do it. Yeah. Right? And what we do behind the bar is a lot less um, intense than that. Yeah. But we have similar issues where sometimes there'll be too many people in the crowd or you've got too many things coming at you at once and you just have to take that moment away and come back to where you are. Right. Um, yeah, I guess that's my approach to it. I, I, it's very loose. I apologize. No, I... I think it's pretty sound. You know, did you find Buddhism or did Buddhism find you? Um, I kind of grew up with it. Um, were you, were you parents or the, the parental? Yeah, 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 100%. And I grew up in a very Buddhist uh, part of... I, when I lived in Boulder, Colorado, there was a lot of Buddhists there. Oh, I didn't realize. So it was, um, I was interacting with them quite a bit. And then uh, beatniks, yeah. I read all the beat literature. Uh, met a bunch of them because they all actually lived in Boulder at really? one point or another. It's expensive too, man. Um, in Boulder, you know what I mean? Like yeah, sometimes you don't well, think about it. Did, it wasn't expensive when I lived there. Oh, was now oh, it's really expensive. It's really. Um, but yeah, you know, I I find this really helpful. I find it, it's a mental. It's a very re- religion. It's it's a real religion. Sure. There are practices and things like that. Um, but I find that the 
ideas and thoughts behind it are really helpful. Like a framework, perhaps. Yeah. 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 Does do you accept other religions just 100%. as equal? Um, I'm not very good at them because I think some of the concepts are a little foreign to me. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I appreciate all of them quite a bit. Uh, Did you Judaism travel much especially. as a, a Judaism? Especially, yeah, I'm yeah. a big fan. Um, Did you, were you pretty well, tra- it sounds like ultimately you have many multicultural Yeah, I mean, my right? family is very interesting background-wise. Like, my mom uh, spoke multiple languages, my dad spoke multiple languages, and I grew up in Venezuela, um, oh. and then in Arkansas and Colorado, so like, just some it's a little different, yeah. yeah, but I think um, I have a very small family. It's like just my mom, my brother, and I essentially yeah. outside of Venezuela. And um, we, so my resources for things were just very minimal as yeah. a kid. So I had to pull from everybody else. I didn't have grandparents to find history, so I had to read about history. I didn't have like aunts and uncles. You had really. a supplement. Yeah, yeah, so I think... Uh, learning about other people was the fast way to fill in those gaps. See, it's it's so strange. It's striking similarity. Like I, same thing for me. Yeah, culture was the thing that made me feel like I had a family. And right. Perhaps exactly. music, or perhaps talking to people. That's a way to feel connective. You know, I think Buddhism does that same thing. Does is nature a good way to reset for you? And do you think that it's a good way for people um, to reset? I think it's a good way for a lot of people to reset. I have a hard time getting to nature. Yeah. Um. My mom lives in the middle of nature. Yeah. Uh, in the mountains of Colorado. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but living there was frustrating for me because I was so isolated. Yeah. Um, I need other people and I need other ideas in order to feel um, stable yeah. and confident and growing and a part of the world. So for me, I tend to find myself most at peace when there are more people around me. Yeah, me too. It's, I take it a bunch bunch of social elements and yeah. people but then when it comes down to it i'd rather just sit at a table and talk to somebody like yeah 100 you know I mean? it's, like, it's a little bit better i yeah. think for me like going on a hike in the wilderness is almost the same as sitting at a bar talking to people yeah really it's almost just like as long as i'm not doing it for work right and just meeting people just normal i feel like i'm actually in a peaceful place that's incredible so i'm wondering then did you ever pursue musical performance as a writer and performer i did yeah yeah which what was the main instrument or all of the ones we mentioned Uh, mostly in composition uh playing guitar and singing oh cool i've had a few bands in my life that's kind of incredible did any of them take you to where you wanted to go um well at a certain point i found this um a certain exhaustion in having to do it for other people music was something and is something that i love so much for myself that having to being required to do it for other people really got to me, right. which is why I kind of stepped away from it. It almost becomes insincere in a sense, right? Exactly. Because you're like, well, I'm just playing the songs, but actually I'm not really in the mood right and now. I, yeah, I have the same thing with service, working a service bar at my bar. It's like I'm making drinks for people that I don't see. Yeah. I love the physical movement of it and the precision and the need to become better every single time. But I think at this point... I'd rather just talk to some people yeah. and make a simple drink. I did a um, guest bartending shift recently, and they asked me what drink I was going to serve, and I asked them, how many cases of champagne do you have? <laughs> the perfect cocktail in it itself. It was great, because yeah. I got to just meet and talk to everyone. That's amazing. And I made two, sorry, I made two uh, other cocktails that were not uh, champagne, but right. like, 
But still, I get that. I sentiment. did the real bartending. Yeah, I got absolutely. to meet people and talk to people. So when did the... So the thing is, is medicine, human bodies, they are composed of notes to bones, whatever kind of yeah. interstitial material you want to call it, right? But yeah. it's the same kind of concept as building a song, right? So for you, what, what was the moment where you really fully transitioned out of medicine mode, if you will, maybe pursuing to be a surgeon, as you mentioned, into the bartending or hospitality industry? So it's really funny. Um, you go and study medicine and medical school and all that, um, but they never teach you how to take care of people. You always learn how to see people as, uh, as, as a technocrat would see a person. Interesting, like They're yeah. a piece of technology that you must rebuild to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. And hospitality was something more than that. It was yeah. actually taking care of people. There's nuance, too. Yeah. Um, so I think the moment that I switched over is when I decided to just wash dishes and be a barback for a year. Because... I, I wanted to be perfect at it. Yeah. I wanted to be a master at something. And I figured the most basic thing to be a master at is the thing that seems the easiest. Wow. Um, which is really hard, actually, because the second you decide you want to be really good at something, all of the little details that make it impossible show themselves. Yeah. So, like, how do you move efficiently behind a bar? Where do the glasses come from? How do you rebuild the machines to make them work? Like our cold draft machine, I rebuilt it to make it better. Um, How do you fix something if it's broken? How do you pace everything so that you know you can get the ice to the bartender before they even ask? Just watching and listening and learning. Um, So maybe I didn't transition entirely out of medicine yet, but it's become really, that is much more important to me. Right. But the thing that's interesting for me is you. you seem so adaptable intellectually to things, right? So if you want to learn something, you do. And you s- want to learn it in a way that is not superficial. You want to learn it in a deep, masterful way. So then I wonder, what are you not capable of doing? Oh, so many things. Are you sure? So many things. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, what, what do you think is an actual maybe fatal flaw for you? Uh, my ego. Yeah. Sure, like everybody else. Sure. Um, and time. Time, time management? No, just it, just it's like not enough of it. I see, yeah. Um, I wish there was more of it somehow. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose if there was a way to come up with some other wormhole, perhaps you're the right person for the job. I've yeah. looked into it. Uh, there are some good theories. <laughs> I'm sh- I, uh, why Einstein, Rosenbridges are really wonderful ideas. Yes, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I've got a lot of flaws. Yeah, like anybody. Yeah. Um, I think the secret is embracing those flaws. And seeing that those are really important parts of who you are. They are the depth of you. Sure. Um, some people want to fix a problem that is... I, it's a very interesting concept to me that we want to go to therapy quite often because we think something's wrong with us. Right. Like American culture is very therapy-oriented. But there's an incredible amount of depth in having a problem. It actually is something that can make... It, it makes you who you are. Sure. And if you can accept that thing that's wrong with you... It can actually, you can use it to like work with people. Like my ego is a problem with me sometimes, but it is with my staff too. Sure. And they have all these things that get thrown at them. And because I have that flaw, I can see it in them and I can guide them and I can say, hey, like you don't want to do this because it will take you this way. Right. And I've done that and I can tell you that's not very helpful. Do you find yourself to be a very compassionate and empathetic person? 
<laughs> sometimes <laughs> I, I, that might also be a flaw. Of I kind of I had a feeling because some, you know sometimes we're there there are these conflicts within us that we want to be creative and we want to also be analytical and be compositional as musicians. It's a, a massive part of many of our egos, yeah. and sometimes it's just like cold and collected right it's well, like i think i have to sometimes pull myself back and remember it takes everybody it takes other people less time more time to get somewhere than me sometimes right which i'm not saying is some i'm not trying to say that in like an <laughs> egotistical way i know that can sound like really i could sound like a bitch by saying that, <laughs> honestly but um it is something that i i can get to something sometimes faster than yeah. some not everybody but some people and i gotta I realize not everybody else can do that, and I get angry at them for not doing that. That's that I think is the key. Yeah, you and I winking at each other and saying like, "Yeah, we know we're probably gonna get a concept that's somewhat complex, perhaps faster than this guy over here." But I don't want to say that. I yeah. never like that's the problem is that I don't care if I think I'm the smartest person in the room, which may be the case or may not. Even, I know I'm not. I mean, there are some rooms that are pretty, pretty bad. I've rooms. been in some rooms where I. There, I know I'm not. I like. Yeah. I live in a place that is full of very smart people. Yeah. I've had barbacks that worked for me that were getting PhDs at MIT and concepts that were so absolutely amazing yeah. and far out there that I looked at it, them and was like, "Oh my god, okay, it's incredible." Um, so I'm okay with not being the smartest person. Me too. Me too. But I'm happy being one of the most agile mentally. Yeah. I like being able to transition mentally from one thing to another and see its depth. And that's something I I think that's my life project is to be better at that. But you do in in a larger sense you do love people. I do very much. Yeah, I don't understand them. That's the that's the fun part <laughs> at of it. All. Yeah. And I think as I'm getting older I'm realizing I understand them less and less. Um, it, well, so how does love figure into that picture then? Love, Are you love able is to? Great. Love is great. But I'm in like, love. It, Wonderful. Do they understand you? As much as anybody can understand a good. person, yeah. Um, I think love is more about rhythm. Rhythm? Yeah. Um, I think ultimately my mind is more of a dancer. Um, I think there are people that think like dancers and there are people that think like whatever else, but in my mind, it's movement that. It, my mind thinks in terms of movement. Yeah. And um, love is about finding somebody or something that can move in the same rhythm as you. Yeah. Um, in the same pacing. So that's just a matter of them being able to dance with you appropriately, I guess. That's amazing. I consider, like I mentioned before we start recording, in a sense to me, this is a jazz improv. Exactly. I don't know where we'll go. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because yeah. it's all about going there. Exactly. And that experience, right? Do you write much? A lot every day. Journaling? Do you write for uh, journaling? A blog I a lot, and then um, I've been keeping a journal since I was a very little kid. That's amazing. And then um, I have some things I've written that maybe will get published one day or not. But who knows? I do. You, going back to the ego thing, of which we both have nice, nice, solid, protein-based egos. I think we both yeah. do. Do you have a voice worthy of publishing? I don't know. I don't, don't really so. know. Um, I sometimes have a hard time with words because there's so many meanings behind anything you can say. Right. So I try to avoid it often to speak, if necessary, only. Really? Um, it's just intentional. It's, it's, 
Yeah, I mean, writing is fun, and I get lost in it sometimes, and I can just sit and write for hours and feel really happy and good. Yeah. But if it's worth publishing, I don't know if anything's actually worth publishing. <laughs> I think it's just like you do it or you don't. No, I like that. I, like um, that, yeah. I will probably try to publish something uh, probably fairly soon. Do you think it would... Well, you, you probably already have a notion of what this may be, fiction, nonfiction. So I've written a couple of fiction pieces that are pretty long, and I've had some ideas for them for most of my life. Yeah. Um, that will probably happen when I have more time to sit down. Yeah. Um, but for the next five years, I don't want that yet. Um, I've written a lot of stuff for my staff. It's funny you talk about writing. It's something I've been doing more or less my entire life yeah like I pretty think, intensively well because you have this way with words you've obviously thought about the order of them the sy- syntax is really important and it seems like you've crafted these thoughts in some sense before you know it's almost like this natural these thoughts how you would talk about life how you would talk about buddhism not in a rote kind of canned way but just you've already been feeling it for years so it yeah, comes i think that's pretty accurate yeah it's a, it's, it's really brilliant it's so English wasn't my original first language, so sometimes I think publishing in uh, publishing yeah. written work is a little scary for me to think in to think that I would be published in a language that wasn't that I'm not an expert at. What is your native tongue? So to uh, Spanish. Spanish, okay. Um, but I speak a lot of French quite often. Yeah. So and a lot of it's actually I spend about an hour a day working on my French and um, about a half an hour a day on Japanese. Wow. So it, it's a hobby that's my hobby yeah and it's uh it's sometimes hard to think what if i publish something in english that would be very strange because i don't consider myself an expert i I have a hard time sometimes gathering words and putting them in an order hard to believe frankly it really is when you think about the medium are you more a avid film goer or more a reader oh both both um I I don't sleep very much. I, I have don't the, sleep very much. Yeah, I have the wonderful disadvantage of only sleeping about four hours a night naturally. Oh man! So I end up with a lot of alone time, um, which I often spend with an iPad and headphones, watching every f- movie I can find yeah. in the world. Um, so I'm a huge film buff. Me too. But I also really love reading. So I in the mornings. Reading is more of a morning thing for me, and movies are more of a nighttime thing for me. So in an ideal world, I'd read a book in the daytime, do a bunch of stuff, and then at night, watch a nice movie. Your nightcap is a brilliant film. Exactly. I like like dramas and uh, things that can unfold in the... I I like watching... I like a melody, whether that melody is a song or a piece of work, of written work. Anything in recent memory that you enjoyed watching? Uh, <laughs> I watch a lot of weird things. I do too. Uh, I like all over the place. Like, I just watched all the Harry Potters again for fun because <laughs> they're on Amazon Prime or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, on Hulu, I think. Okay. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just dropped. Yeah. It's great. Um, and then something strange. What's something strange you've seen lately that perhaps no one would have heard? I've just been trying to. Um, there's this amazing old French movie. Uh, came out. Not that long ago, actually. I guess it's not that old. A couple of years ago, um, I think it's called Motor, the Motor, uh, in English. Mm. I can't remember, but it's basically a guy in a um, in a uh, um, limousine, and he's it has no story. No. He like goes through all this stuff, and it's just 
really weird. Like he's a chauffeur one moment, and it's just watching this guy's life. Yeah, and it's unbelievable. It's such a great movie. And there's, there's another um, my favorite movie of all time. You do so you can actually name clearly what your favorite is. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, what is it's it? A, um, it's a it's a six-hour movie. Um, the best of youth. The best of youth. It's an Italian film. Um, and it follows the story of these two brothers, of these brothers yeah. who, um, from their teenage years, where they have this incredible, unbelievable incident that changes their lives with this girl uh, who's mentally disabled, or they be- who people believe is mentally disabled, right. all the way up into their adulthood. And it follows their entire life. And wow. in the background is Italy changing and growing uh, during the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And you see who they are and how the country behind them is shifted and how they're changed by the country and how they change the country it's in amazing. a lot of ways. You it's, see the landscape it's physically amazing. change. And to see wow. these people grow, it's the best movie, I think, in the world. It's incredible. Well, and it's comprehensive, too, so yeah. it does have a little bit of advantage that way. It does, but I think even in terms of television, which now is very long and incredibly complicated, yeah. this is... Is just a piece of work on its own. Wow! I think of the word "work" in French like "oeuvre." It's like the work. oeuvre. Is there yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think this is like the best of that. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I need to check it. I mean, I it's hard to find. I I'll find it. Yeah, I, do, I have this weird fascination with '80s horror. I love '80s horror. So I've found stuff that you know is really so. They oh god, I'm gonna go What's to the same Jackson's original. Uh, oh, Peter uh, Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Bad taste? His, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Amazing. I, I found Amazing. it at a bookstore one day before DVDs. This, nice. this, this and Meet the Feebles, they were really expensive on VHS because yeah. no one gave a shit about Peter Jackson. Right. That Alive's incredible, but no one knew about it, right? Yeah. I found Bad Taste, and you know, it's that alien flip, flipping people off on the cover of it. Yeah. It had two fingers because it edited it. And I found it and for like 10 bucks in Houston. I was like, this is the greatest. That's amazing. This is fucking like amazing find. But yes, yeah, so... I'll find the movie. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you should. It's, a, it's amazing. I absolutely will. It's life-changing. I've, there's I've, an act, There's something that happens in the film that sometimes I, I am in a car going home at night, and I'm like, why did that character do that? Yeah. I still think about it all the time. Really? Like, why? what motivated him? Like, you see his entire life. You see his actions and how one event changes him and makes him completely different than his brother. And you just, like, I still think, like, why? Yeah, how, why did he do that? Well, shit! If you're still thinking about it, <laughs> like I'm thinking about it right now. I fact. got man. Well, you, I've got you thinking about it. Well, that's good. So, drink. You said that you were just hinging on about ten years there. Just about, yeah. It's a big chapter. Ten years of doing anything time. is a long. Time. Yeah, we're celebrating our tenth year on October second. Do you um, think you're different right now than you were ten years ago? Yeah, I mean, when I started, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was a completely different person. I was really? not calm. I was not collected. I was not confident in myself. Um, I didn't know how to lead people. That wasn't even on my agenda. Yeah. I really just started with the idea of washing dishes and figuring out how to be good at that. And I think I might be okay at it now. I think. Maybe. <laughs> okay is not I'm bad. I'm like one of the best barbacks you'll ever meet. I'm very proud of it. That's great. Um, but... Yeah, it's a big chapter. And I think I'm starting to see other things that I'm going to start focusing on a little more. Yeah. Um, I want my team to grow now. I want them to have more opportunities. So 
I'm working with partners to see what we can do and how we can it's funny when you start to talk to people about your future they give you all kinds of crazy advice like uh, oh you should just leave and go work for somebody else or go open your own thing and I like history I like building on history and I want to do something that isn't completely separating me from the work I've done yeah because I've put so much of my life and I've like you know lost a marriage like uh lost family members in my time at drink and it's shaped me and connected me to that place and what that place can do for others yeah so i want to be able to give that to more people and i want my team to be able to grow and i want to give them more chances to shape others is it in a sense being sentimental and nostalgic about this unfortunately place? yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, a, I'm a huge romantic I, yeah I can't me too help. but it, it's the <laughs> The Venezuelan in me, you know. Yeah, the deep yeah. passion of the Venezuelan. I don't know what it is. The magical, me. magical thinking, right? The yeah. famous novels from like um, Borges and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, all those writers. Yeah, hopeless. I think I might have the same kind of hopeless magical thinking about. Maybe where genetic. I am. It could be a Venezuelan it like but lineage. I think it's a really positive thing because it means that I can shape a new type of business idea. Yeah. Instead of just cutting off ties and growing separate, I can take the elements that I like and take the pieces that I like. Mm. And I think my I've worked hard enough to demand what I want now yeah. and just say this is what I'm going to do and you can come with or not. Yeah. Um and that's something that I was not able to do before. When I'm getting today's been wonderful. It, I get to so I put out a set on Facebook, which is a good way to communicate certain yeah. things. I said, hey guys, less than 12 to 20%, I think it's like 20%, less than 20% of the presenters at the conference here are women. Yeah. And I'm here to capture a really even pool of people to talk to. And I said, can people help me out? And then today is filled with some of the most amazing women in this industry. Pam's next, right? Yeah, Pam is one of my Elise was very early. close yeah. friends. I mean, I, I feel privileged to be in this room doing this and having this conversation with you. Does that, do you ever think about that power and how maybe it is even more important for you as an intensely intellectual woman doing great work to set an example? Is there any pressure there? Um, well, now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, like, I'm just trying to be as to what I want to do and how I want to take care of people as possible. Yeah, I feel like as I've had opportunities, I feel even larger necessity to take, give that to others yeah. and find a way to share that with the people that are in my life um, and not in my life, I guess. I, I, it's funny, like, I wake up in the morning and I just do my job and I don't really think about that stuff at all because yeah. I'm just working. And it's always funny when I meet somebody who knows me and I'm really shocked by it and like kind of confused to like, why, why would you care? I just take care of people. Like, yeah. It's okay. That's the one thing I was, I had a conversation this morning with someone who had met you and said, she's so helpful. That was the thing. And I was like, well, I guess I work with that. I suppose it's an amazing trait to have, but you sound like you want the community to be great. You want yeah, your staff we're all, to be great. We're all, well, okay. So, uh, Dan, who is it? Um, all right, anyway, uh, a lot of us are taught uh, about hospitality and taking care of the guests. Right. And I'm trying to not think about guests anymore. I'm trying to think about who's in the room. Um, 
there's energy being shared on both sides of the bar right. and little pieces of you get taken and little pieces of them get taken and shared back and forth sure. it's a molecular exchange in, of like of course emotion and intellect right, in a lot right. of ways right and connection so it's opportunity i wanted to kind of i want to grow that those little bonds yeah. Uh, i'm yeah i'm thinking in science of terms course. but like um i want those little pieces of everything to go and grow and come off like when you make bubbles and they combine or yeah. they separate and i like that process and i think i want more of that it's amazing and i i don't know i want to be the little fire that helps make sure it grows amongst all the big fires a catalyst in a way catalytic yeah one of the things that struck me about drink in a time when at least this was probably 2010 or 2011 probably no bottles no bottles brand agnostic which i love no that concept yeah intentional obviously yeah what's the main objective in doing that connection uh we the bar is set up with as many corners as possible too yeah so there's corners everywhere there's nothing to distract you there are no tvs there are no bottles uh, it's just the bartender and the guest, and yeah. the guests and the guests, and the bartenders and the bartenders. Everybody is just trying to connect. So get rid of all that other stuff. You know that's like curating a piece. It's like curating a museum. All you're I, wanting to do is to create an, a stage for people to embrace things. Right. And what you don't see on the background is the amount of work that goes into every piece of that. Right. For everything that you don't see as a guest, we have to work three times as hard to make sure you can have it. Yeah, and you don't even, and it's funny because to your point, you're putting all this work to make sure that the absence is there. And because it's absence, no one ever knew it was gone. Exactly. It's an amazing and concept. It's become this interesting thing in my mind where I'm a huge fan of architecture. Yeah, um, I'm, I, not, I'm not surprised. I learn, <laughs> I learn a lot by reading about architecture. There's an amazing um, writer, <clears throat> uh, amazing French writer who really changed the way that the world saw architecture. And um, he talks about the inside being represented by the outside yeah. so shape and form of what's inside affects the way a building is designed yeah. um, for restaurants and bars it's a similar thing the amount of warmth and welcoming and interesting things that you see reduces the need for hospitality Interesting. so we have the opposite at drink, there's nothing there so we have to do the opposite we have to be above and beyond for hospitality um, and so that balance is something that is really intriguing to me and uh -huh. something that is like maybe one of the hardest parts about drink is we have to come to the table with more because we have less. The next bar might be a little fancier looking just because it's a lot of work. Well, and you want to do something different too, yeah, right? Yeah. I'd probably explore a different aesthetic just for the sake of exploring. Yeah, there might be something in mind too. <laughs> you know, normally I ask people, what's, what's next? I'm not asking you that question. There is no way I want to know because you could be a published author within the next year. You could probably put on another record if you wanted to. You certainly could open another bar. So this is just going to be a grab bag. We're going to let people figure this out and see yeah. what they see. It's exciting though, right? Yeah, I There's think you'll definitely see my connection with France growing quite a bit because that feels like real home to me. Yeah. Well, you. I mean, was it an hour a day you said? Or Every half day. An hour? It's a, yeah dedication and paying homage to this place you want uh, actually the reason that i one of the most revolutionary things that affected the way i thought there's a great little place near my house where if on pi day 3.14 yeah, so, uh -huh. uh, march 14th 
if you came in and you knew a certain number of pie after, you got that many free pies every year. Oh my gosh. Um, so Don't t- I wanted to take them for everything. So every day I wrote <laughs> on my mirror, uh, I would look up what each number of pie was, yeah. and each day I would add a number. A number. So I spent two minutes a day, every single day, for 365 <clears throat> days, writing another number on this mirror. And by the end, I had memorized so many numbers out. If Did I you, still remember it, I am not sure. I think was I it a full 365 that you remembered? I think uh, I got stage fright when I went to go talk to them, but um, I think I only ended up with something like 200. Oh uh, yeah, only as you like. Could. But it's a lot of numbers to keep track of. I could write it out. Yeah. Easier than I could say it because seeing it visually was the way that I learned. Yeah. But that practice of two minutes a day on something that you think is ubiquitous is absolutely incredible because it transforms you so much. Yeah. So I try to spend just a small piece of every day on one thing. And so for me, learning a language is fun because it changes the way I think. But at this point, I'm not really learning it anymore the same way. I'm, um, I've known French for a long time. Uh, it's more like um, perfecting it in a way and yeah. changing my mind to be in that space so that when I do interact, it's wonderful. Like I, I'm fluent in American Sign Language. We have so many deaf guests that come in and I get to take care of them and they get to have a normal experience that anybody else would have in a bar because my staff knows how to take care of them because I've shown them that they're just people that speak a different way. And so they'll come up with pads of pencils and like uh, write down and have jokes and these guys have become our regulars and we have so many deaf kids like we have at least 10 deaf regulars just from this experience and it was because I had the opportunity to learn a different thing about a culture. Yeah. Um, and so that little couple minutes every single day transforms you into giving you a tool that you never thought you could have. So I'm a huge fan of it. I Thank God tell. for pie. <laughs> Man, I'm kind of hungry now. Actually, thinking about <laughs> pie. I don't. You know, I got back from Key West last week. Oh, nice. I ate a piece of pie fucking every day. That's awesome. It's like key lime. Well, but they say this is the best. So pie is certainly. Wait, key key lime is actually from Key West. Yeah. Well, it's, I didn't that's know that. this. That's the. It's just like eating a Philly cheese sandwich, right? It's like. Philly cheesesteak, rather. Yeah, it's brilliant. Everybody does it a different way, and this and that. Yeah. Not a bad pursuit, mind you, getting it a piece of good. pie. It sounds good. It sounds like a, I might have to go to Key West. It's not bad at all. Well, so this is my last question okay. for you. And we'll, we'll kind of root this in France. I've been drinking a lot of cognac and armagnac. Oh, yeah, 100%. Today. Love grape distillates. Love brandies in general. So let's say you're sipping a fine armagnac. Yeah. Anywhere in the world, of course, it'd be great to drink it in armagnac. Doesn't matter where. Okay. And you can sit there have a sip and a conversation with anyone living or deceased who might you love to oh, just man, wax I poetic so i know it's really open-ended it's the worst um alexander the great yeah yeah so he, he he's attractive here right he's amazing because yeah. uh he you know he was trained by plato um like this, like the people yeah like uh, that group of people the greeks um, by his father forced them to train him and he went to school that way and then he traveled the world and tried to take over it to an extent because he had this like vision of creating some incredible grand continent where everybody could have a better life yeah. and then he came across elephants for the first time like it's just such an impossible unbelievable story that one person could have that huge of an impact and have come from a type of thinking that was so linear yeah um and so unique like i think of the greeks as thinking very melodically and like they created those ideas for us 
Um, so to get to talk to somebody who might have been in that core and in that world and then expressed it by trying to take over the world is just a remarkable thing. I just, I, I guess is. I don't grasp why. Sometimes it doesn't matter, you know? It's like a guttural reaction. Yeah. That's why the question's hard in a sense. It's like, well, what should I say or what do my thinking? But guttural is always best. But I think there's just so many people that are course, unbelievable yeah. that you could talk to that you can have that same experience with the... Yeah. I get to every day. Um, I think that's actually why I like my job so much. Yeah. I meet people and you never know who they are. Like I met some guy, he was this bigger guy in Boston, like we're sitting at a bar together and talking and it turned out he was like the star baseball player for the Red Sox and I didn't know. I don't know no much way. about sports. Yeah, I don't know. So to me he was just like some guy and we ended up having a, a small like friendship, not very close, but like yeah. I know him and he knows me and we yeah. recognize each other. But it was because of that interaction of just talking to somebody at a bar that I met this guy who was really interesting from another country that also was a baseball player. It's something I don't care about at all, but, know, but it's an amazing that, person. It is an incredible and serendipitous thing. But you never know who that person on the other side is. In yeah. some field, people always ask me, like, it's not like my least favorite term, are you in the industry? It's like everybody's in an industry. Yeah. And if you get to know why or where they are in their industry you learn so much from them like you might be sitting next to a person who's not necessarily uh in the liquor industry but maybe that's like the biggest person ever in like the i don't know car industry right, and you exactly. don't even know it can learn so much from yeah. everybody it's cool it's it's they're all kind of trying to do similar things yeah. in their own way it's a brilliant sentiment and it's quite quite an optimistic one and an uplifting one if you think about very it. romantic that <laughs> A perfect note to end on, frankly. Yeah. How can you be more optimistic and romantic than really appreciating the people around you and never judging them and just expecting that, or rather having no expectations, just being open? Yeah, That's exactly. a beautiful principle. Oh, thanks. So, Ezra, it's been amazing it's chatting been with you. Thank you. Really, really nice, and I can't wait to see what you do next, although I'm sure it will befuddle, befuddle the hell out of me, and I'll have no idea exactly what it is. I think it'll be basic. Oh, it'll yeah, of, co of course you think that it would be basic. For the rest of us. Try it yeah. simple. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, there we have it. What do you guys think? Miss Ezra Starr, the general manager of Drink Boston, an amazing bar. A deeply intellectual chat. Like I said, I felt like I was part of a jazz duo improvisation at its best. We would zig one way, zag the other way, change tempos, change topics. I learned so much about art. I learned so much about Ezra. I learned a lot about myself and sometimes these chats cause some reflection some self-introspection and it was just a wonderful deeply deeply cerebral and satisfying experience speaking with you Ezra thank you so much for taking the time out and thank you for listening to show to v with Mike G no matter how reticent you were to watch it with the West Wing given in seven seasons it might be a bit of a time investment you're gonna do it you'll probably like it or if you're thinking, man, Ready Player One had so many damn pop references, I don't know if I caught them all. Please, keep dancing.